This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Welcome back to another episode. Lots of exciting things to discuss today. It's July, so of course the Tour de France is back on, which makes us very happy. We're going to be discussing the results from that, the results from the recent half marathon and marathon race that was on in Australia. Uh, We've got a time trial question to discuss about threshold. We've got a run off the bike question and much more to go into detail for. So another good episode coming up. Dad, welcome in. Let's start with what is your gratitude? Thanks, George. Uh, Look, I want to just... be a little bit um, father-son self-indulgent here, um, which I don't really like doing. But I, I think there is a time when um, the gratitude has to – you have to be honest and open. That's what gratitude is about um, and tell your true feelings. So I'm just going to put it out there. So um, whilst we've been uh, kind of on training camp up at the Sunshine Coast here in uh, Queensland, we got an opportunity, uh, you and I, to actually uh, go and do a local club race together. And we had a fair few Trivelo people up here at the same time. So we actually had five Trivelo people in the one race, which was pretty much fun. Um, and I hadn't raced for quite a, bo- quite a while. And, you know, you and I have never actually raced together in an outdoor real-world race. We've done plenty of Zwift um might I say, artificial <laughs> yes. type races, but you know, it's nothing better than actually doing a real race outdoors. And and for me to be in the same race as one of my sons was, I've got to say, I'm pretty grateful uh, for that opportunity. And boy, did we have some fun. Um, and and I've and I've got to say that out right from the outset that uh, even though you've never done an outdoor road race, you rode it like a veteran. Um, like you'd ridden a hundred road races, your your ability to decide the moves to make was super impressive, and you ended up winning the race. And I know you didn't want anybody to know that, but um, but you actually, you know, your very first race, you end up winning. There were some really good local riders in there, um, some really crafty, good road riders um, who I've known for years, who are one of the you know, amongst the best um, executors of race strategies, and you actually outsmarted them all, and it. It just showed me that if you're willing to listen to advice, you can actually implement it whether you've done one race or whether you've done 300. And, you know, you may never get an opportunity to have things work out or pan out like that again, but it was a great uh, example of someone who listens and then executes when the opportunity arises. And um, we did actually, you know, outsmart the whole field and um, and it was it was, it was was fun to do it and, and my gratitude is based around you know it was actually fun to race with you and uh and you know watch watch you uh take the victory which is fantastic i couldn't uh, agree anymore it was absolutely going to be my gratitude as well uh not many people can say they get to race competitively with their with their 100 year old dad um <laughs> as you always say uh, but but seriously it was uh it was so much fun and uh yeah i I am officially hooked on road cycling and I might give up all triathlons <laughs> because it's so much fun. Uh, there's something about the getting to uh, mix in tactics with fitness levels and, uh, you know, really short, sharp efforts, a bit of recovery. And, uh, you know, you talk about outsmarting them. Um, I don't know if I can take much credit because I had you in my ear throughout the race, <laughs> kind of giving some instructions. Um, but 
to to talk about how the race kind of panned out. We ended up in a breakaway together, and there was three of us, and I was I was I was exhausted at the time. I was breathing very heavily, but I literally laughed out loud at the situation because I thought, how has this happened where there's two of us and one other guy in a breakaway? I just shook my head going, this is unbelievable. Um, and I don't know how many times we'll get that chance again in the future, you know, to, for a race to pan out like that. And it was, uh, yeah, it was just so much fun to make a breakaway together and then stay away to the end and, um, and yeah, work together in a two-on-one at the finish. It was, it was just awesome. Yeah. And look, um, I was, look, I don't know if people want to hear this, but, um, but, I got away with one of the other younger kids in the race and he was 18 and I'm 63. So <laughs> I found that pretty funny um, um, that we were away together and the field let us go up the road and um, and that w- worked perfectly into your hands or anybody in the Trivalo kids' hands because having one of your teammates up the road um, means the other riders have to chase. So that was a great scenario, which one that, you know, most road riders would would see that happening a lot, uh, but you've never experienced it. But uh, as soon as the other guys uh, put down the hammer and started chasing, the minute that they stopped the chase was your time to attack or any of the Trivellos people's time to attack, and which you did. You rode across to us, which meant that we three of us were away. We only had six or seven K to go, uh, and you were the strongest out of the three of us, and you did all the work, and then you actually uh, won the sprint. So it was, it was a real fun thing to see you uh, leave the pack solo don't drag the whole bunch across to us you ran you rode across to us uh, on your own with really good power at the time where when the bunch was tired so you did all the right things uh, that got you the result you did so um, it, it was pretty special to see you uh, put everything together um, and end up with a really good outcome and as you say it may never happen again but it was sure sure fun to experience it um, I you know, I just I had a smile on my face actually when we were breaking when we were away together. I thought, no, we could actually bugger up this yeah. uh, sprint two versus one, um, but uh, we eventually, <laughs> but we eventually got the uh, first and third, so yeah. um, so it was good. Anyway, we better move exactly, on. yeah. Uh, my gratitude because it was going to be that, but I'll say another one was um, <clears throat> that the Tour de France is on. I just have to say that every year the coverage seems to be getting better uh, with social media. You seem to be getting more and more angles and footage of things that are happening and more insight. And it's just, I just absolutely love it. And every year I complain a little bit about the lack of sleep, and it's already happening. But you know, last night stayed up the entire stage. Um, definitely makes it hard to work the next day and train but it's absolutely worth it because the race is just so gripping. So, I'm so grateful to be able to watch that again. Moving on to the actual podcast topics uh, of today and uh, let's start with a couple of key things that have caught our attention and you wanted to talk about the recent Ironman in, uh, I can't remember the location, but it was one of the toughest Ironman races on the calendar. Yeah, it's uh, Ironman UK and it's in Bristol, which is just a little bit north of Manchester. Um, And to be honest, I don't take much notice. There's hundreds of races going on uh, around the world um, uh, almost, you know, during summer at the moment, you know, there's there's races everywhere happening. So, it's really hard to be across every race but happened to be coaching one uh, one of the Trivello guys to this race and I seriously have never seen such a hard course on the bike. Um, I was shocked at how difficult it was and I was, you know, I was seeing some bike times that – just didn't make sense to me um you know the amount of elevation that was in the in the in the ride um and you know combine that with pretty average conditions in summer in england um you know you've got a fair bit of cold weather and rain and drizzle so so you've got all this 
this against you. And I, I really think that, you know, when people start to talk about comparing times um, from race to race, that that's a mistake when you see a race like this. Um, and, you know, someone who does maybe an example would be a fast course like Bustleton in, in Australia, in Western Australia here. Um, it's really flat, you know, really opportunity to, to ride, swim and run fast. And then you, you, if you did that race and then you went to UK Ironman, you could potentially have the same um, data, same effort and be an hour slower. That's how different it is when you when you look at two races against each other, and that's a bad thing to do. To you shouldn't compare one time in one race compared to another. You should compare all of your times at Busso against all of your times at Busso, and you should compare if you do Ironman UK. I don't think many people would front up for more than two or three of those because you you know a lot of people like to do um, fast times in an Ironman. As that's one of the things. You know, have you done an Ironman? Yes, I have. Oh, what's your what's your best time? And if you've only done Ironman UK, you'll you be, you know, you you won't be sort of one of the top people at the party telling you that you've done a ten-hour uh, Ironman um, when someone else has done a nine-hour. Yet your event result probably was better than a nine-hour, um, and, and that's kind of the message I'm trying to get across here. Is there's, you know, you know, we we thought about Kona being, you know, a tough event, and it is. It's got lots of elevation. It's got lots of uh, high temperatures and the lava fields. And it's, it's, you know, it was meant to be the toughest race. But boy, there's a lot of races that are rivaling <laughs> it at the moment. Yeah. Um, um, and you know, it doesn't have to be all about temperature. It can be about um, course difficulty. You know, yeah. the amount of yeah, the, the amount of climbing you're doing, and a lot of the age group bike times were, you know, if you if you look across the world, in age groups, say the thirty to forty to fifty to sixty year olds, they're all riding around, um, you know, anywhere between four hours forty to five hours twenty. If you're in the top three, well, most of the times at the UK race were five fifty to six fifteen, mm. you know, and they were winning. They were winning their age group. And and that was kind of it's in your face like oh, how hard is this and then you've got to run uh, you know running running after a ride like that is different to running after a ride where you've been on the flat and you've and you've been only been out there for five hours only but yeah imagine <laughs> yeah and if you know if you if you if you do a five hour at Bustleton then you go to Ironman UK and do six hours that's a different run mm. after riding for six hours compared to riding for five hours and that's that's kind of really grabbed my attention. It stuck out to me. It's a different race mm. when when you're trying to run a marathon. Uh, it's almost like you've been you've handicapped yourself because now you're trying to run a marathon off a six hour ride instead of a five hour ride, and that that takes a takes more nutrition, takes more planning, takes better execution. Um, you can't be as aggressive because um, you're out there for an hour exactly. longer. Yeah. Um, you know the swim and the ride, swim and the run. Are the same, but the ride adds a different dimension. So, yeah, I just found it. Uh, it was really interesting to see, and uh, you know, the event was run in in the middle of our night. You talk about losing sleep with the the Tour de France. I I I was watching one of our guys do this race, so I could not put it down because he actually ran through the field from 70th place to 24th um, in the run because he did everything right, and 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 it was. 
you know, it was almost hilarious. One thirty in the morning, two o'clock. What's he up to? Three three a.m. Um, you know, I just I might as well have stayed awake the whole night rather than just getting up at intervals. But um, but it was it was really good to see what I thought was going to be a you know I was thinking oh far out the ride's taken a lot longer than we anticipated because of the difficulty. Yet he still ran the house down it was it was brilliant and uh we were talking about this you had a great chat with this athlete afterwards and they're a really good runner um but you had to have some pretty clear conversations about you know that running might not translate at the end of an ironman it was their first ironman and um they were very thankful for i guess the respect you made sure they understood of the event and especially when it turns out this event was so much tougher than others because they would have been able to run half as well um had they not respected the event properly yeah, it's a really good point. And, you know, anybody who can run under three hours in a fresh uh, marathon is, is a good runner because there's a, only a small percentage of the population ever do that run a, a marathon under three hours. And and this particular guy could do that and he ran he went to Boston and, and ran a PB, um, two fifty, low 250s. So his expectation is that he's a really good runner regardless what, what the swim and the ride were about. He should be able to execute his strength as a runner. And I said, yes, that is true, but you, you can't underestimate, I suppose, the, the difficulty of what's a, what you've just done and you can't just assume that you can just run normally. And, you know, we did have a, a fair, fair, fairly good, robust discussion about what his pace should be um, and we had a good range and and he kind of said at the end of the day, I'm so glad that we, we had that range because – I could have got ahead of myself and I had to keep myself in check at 5 and 12 and 20K because, yeah, boy, did I feel different at 26K <laughs> and 36K um, running the same pace. And, you know, we talk about that perceived exertion at 10K at, for example, he was trying to run 4.45 pace. Um, that felt comfortable. And at 5K, it felt like this is too slow. This is too easy. Uh, you know, I can run faster than this. And I'm warning him about this before the event. I'm saying the perceived exertion is just such a bad way to, to execute in, in an endurance race because the first 5K compared to the 35th K, the same pace feels completely different. Yeah. It feels like a 10 out of 10 yeah. as compared to a 3 out of 10. Yeah. And, and he, that was one thing he said. I just had to trust the process and stay with it because I knew it was going to get hard at some point. And, and boy, he said, it did get hard. And, but because I, I was so grateful that I hadn't got ahead of myself and I was able to, you know, and the fact that he was running through the field, he said, don't underestimate how unbelievably good experience and feeling with people yelling out, mate, looking strong, <laughs> yeah, running well. Exactly. Um, you know, you're flying. And he said it just gave me extra legs. Mm. Um, um, and no one in the field was 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 passing him. He he didn't get passed yeah. from the minute he started running. It must make um, you happy as a coach to hear all that all that post race. Yes, and and you know, we we've done many podcasts on you must be strong in the back half of the ride and the back half of the run. And that's the first thing he said to me was you know, as much as I hated those training sessions, boy, was I strong in the back half. I was able to to maintain the pace that I wanted to um, to wanted to run to, and and it was it was it, it just proved to be so 
so um, instrumental in allowing me to execute the race plan for the marathon that I wanted to. And and you know we've 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 spent a lot of time saying that you know the triathlon marathon is not a walking event, and we don't hide from that. And and this particular guy said to me, I don't care what happens, I am not walking. <laughs> yeah. And I said, oh, just be careful with that <laughs> sentence because, you know, it, it could come back to bite you. And to his credit, he did not yeah. walk one step. Yeah. Um, and he said, you felt like it a lot, but uh, but definitely, you know, the mindset is that you can run the marathon no matter what pace you select. Um, you know, whether you're running at six-minute K pace or 6.30-minute K pace or, or 4.30 K pace. You can not have to walk if if you've measured your effort well, and walking's okay. Don't don't get me wrong. But this particular guy said he didn't want to walk, but but if if walking helps you keep the pace that you're trying to 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 do, then that, that's okay. But it's not about doing the swim and bike, and then I'm just going to walk. That's that's what we're sort sort of trying to get across here. Yeah. And on the other end of the scale, we uh, we were at the Gold Coast Marathon Festival, which was uh, there was the 5k, 10k, half marathon, and marathon all over the weekend on the Gold Coast, which is the northern part of Australia. And uh, yeah, there's definitely some observations we both had from from watching people compete in the half uh, half marathon and marathon events. Um, and it is different when it's a fresh marathon it's like that's why i said it's the other end of the scale but uh i saw a lot of people uh one of my observations were people not respecting the event and specific examples of people getting what you say their ambition and ability confused um and uh, on that point of perceived exertion a friend of ours put up a hilarious caption um after the marathon and she said um it's so funny how 35 kilometers and 272 kilometers adds up to 42.2 kilometers because you know she's basically saying that the last 7k felt like it was 270 kilometers uh, i just found that hilarious um and to her credit she Ooh. ran an unbelievable two hours 40 marathon um, so that is absolutely flying. I think she was 11th female overall. Um, but that is just, it's just the, this, this wall that happens in the marathon, right? Where, wherever it is, 30K, 35K, it's a totally, feels like you're in a totally different race to what you were before that. Yeah. And I suppose that's a, one of the coaching points that I want to get across to the people listening is that, um, endurance events, uh, if you don't respect the, the event and the pace that you've selected and, Get, which is what we say, getting your ability and your ambition confused, um, then it will be a horrendous outcome uh, and experience for you on race day. And and I've said many times, I don't know how people re-front up again and repeat the same mistake over and over um, because if you do it once, I'm never going to go through that again. If I'm, if I'm feeling bad at 32K and I've got to hang on for 10K, I don't want to do that next time. I, I want to make sure I've got my pacing right for the next race but I continue to front up to all these big big races and and whether people don't know that this is what they should be doing and they just run to feel and then progressively get slower and are happy with that 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 could be that could be what's happening but or they're just not respecting it and going you know this is a pace I want to run at even though I've never done that in training and I haven't run this far at that pace and that's that's kind of just thumb in your nose at the event and and it will bite you so badly that um you know that you end up in a state of disarray and you know to a point where you're staggering to the finish line which is which did happen to a few people um walking sideways and um and you know I, i say it's great that people can 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 get themselves to that point but you know i've been to that point myself but it's not something that's 
that I would recommend. I, I would rather you finish full of legs um, and get to the finish and say, oh, maybe I could have gone harder. Not many people can say that mm. in most endurance events mm. when they get to the finish. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do get to that position, great, look out next time. And that's what a learning experience is about is is doing some events and learning where your, your ability exactly. is and trying yep. to improve. Um and, you know, we saw many examples uh, in the half marathon, even the 10K. Um, it just gets exposed more in the marathon because you, yeah. have to, you have to sustain it for an agonizingly up to an hour. Whereas, you know, if you make a mistake in a 10K, you, you really only have to suffer for five minutes. It's bad enough suffering. But, um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it was really interesting and, and uh, you know, there's a, a lot I want to talk about that. Well, yeah. I mean, let's go into it because we had some great discussions about people. We observed him, and we put, we observed people within Travelo and then outside of Travelo, and uh, you know, different people that we knew. Um, I saw one specific example. I didn't know the person, but I knew their friend, and um, their uh, the person, like you said, staggered across the line in the marathon. You know, got there and was in a really bad way medically. And I asked the friend, you know, what happened. Uh, you know, were they were they like too super dehydrated, or what? Like, what was the issue there? And they just said, "I oh, just push themselves too hard," and that confused me a little bit. And I sort of pressed, pressed, and said, "Oh, do you know specifically what happened?" Because um, not everyone ends up in that state from pushing themselves too hard. You know, you say a lot of people in that race are pushing themselves to their limit, um, but not everyone is walking sideways or ends up in the medical tent. And just because you end up in the medical tent doesn't mean you, you push yourself harder than someone else. So I was trying to get to the bottom of kind of what happened and. Um, I said, was it nutrition or dehydration? And they said, no, none of those things. I eventually got out of the friend who said, um, look, they probably just went too hard. Um, their previous PB was 3.30 and they were thought they were in much better form uh, and they went out in three-hour pace um, and they just absolutely blew up because of it because their body, you know, this is my conclusion. The friend didn't say this, but <laughs> I heard that and went, okay, so they've just gotten, gone way too hard compared to what their body's actually capable of and it's absolutely destroyed them. Um, and for me, that's an example of yeah, probably not respecting the event enough. Um, and I guess we ended up having this conversation where we went, you know, a lot of people think that the training is everything. If you train really well, if your numbers are good in your testing, then that's it. Um, but for the age group athlete or any non-pro or any pro even, getting to the start line fresh, tapered and healthy is just as much of a battle as all the training required. And then executing is an even more battle. And a lot of people just think, and I saw some some friends of mine who had been training the house down, again, probably not respect the event enough and kind of went in with a few niggles Um you know, they, they'd probably overtrained a little bit and, and were confident that their body could get through when they'd done too much and didn't think about the getting to the start line fresh, healthy and tapered and they ended up pulling out halfway through um, because those niggles just got too much. So, um, those, those are some of the conversations we were having. Yeah, and uh, with so much uh, ability to look at uh, data, whether you're looking at Strava or – so, you can actually – um, look at people's pace. Um, um, you know, you can go into the event, and the event gives you splits of five k, ten k, half marathon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I could. It made me go and look uh, because I wanted to to get a gauge in my mind of is this a common thing or is this a mi- minority of people doing it? And my conclusion was the majority of people are doing this. I could not find many people in the half marathon who had negative splitted. I, I, I was. I just picked, I think I tried 20 or 30 different uh, people and, you know, it, it just it just wasn't becoming evident that anybody was running the same pace the whole way through. Everybody faded. And, um, and you know, I'm being the coach here and, and I kind of, 
I get frustrated because there is a better way. That's what I'm trying to get across to people. Uh, you will have a better a better outcome, but you'll also have a better experience. So wh- what are you there for? One, you're trying to improve on what you've done before. Or it could be your first time. Um, two, you are actually trying to enjoy yourself because it's it's what you've chosen to do as your recreation, as your passion. So the two things are very important. You need to enjoy the experience. And if you're going to get an outcome that's really good, it will be so much enjoyable. It will be such a, an adrenaline rush about, I can't wait to do the next race because that was fun. I executed exactly the way I wanted to. I ran the same pace from start to finish. I only faded maybe two or three seconds per, per K and that to me is fine. You know, Close to a negative split is fine. But if you're running 20 to 30 seconds slower in the second half than the first half, that is a hard way to run and not such a good experience. Um, and, and they're the things I was looking for. And, and I couldn't find um, much evidence that that was happening. And, and obviously, we had um, uh, Liam, my daughter-in-law, in the, in the half marathon. And she, she had only done one other half marathon before in her life. And so this is her second go. Um, she's had a baby in between, so she's had lots going on and she's followed a really good training program. Like you said before, she's done everything well and she arrived at race day fit and healthy. And I want to set the context um, a little from, from her perspective as well because uh, she's someone that comes from the other type of mindset where she she would, wouldn't mind us saying that she probably comes from a little bit more conservative mindset, probably lacks a little bit of belief in what she could do. Um, and you were yep. having to kind of – you wouldn't do this for many athletes trying to instill the belief in her that she can run this certain pace. Um, so, keep going, but talk us through that. Yep. Yep. So, and look, she had picked a race earlier, which was the Noosa Half Marathon, and she actually got sick. She got kidney infection before it, so she couldn't do it. So, already her training program was a little bit um, um, in the air. Uh, so, we had to reset uh, to a race that was six or seven weeks later. So we had to we were already peaked for the Noosa race, so we had to reset and move the goalpost, so to speak. So so she did do a good job in in uh, recovering from that illness and then resetting her target to the Gold Coast half marathon, which which was good because it gave her another opportunity to to have a crack at the race she was trying to improve on. So so coming into the race, we we had a race plan, and this is her range that she was going to run at, and and she absolutely nailed it. She ran a negative split. Um, and, you know, she was running through the field uh, from the first half to the second half. You know, so much had to go into that conversation. At the start of this race, there will be people streaming past you. You have to let them go. You have to stay with your running pace. And as you get to 10 or 11K, people will stop passing you and you'll start to run the same pace as the people around you. As you get to 12, 13, 14, 15, you will start passing people. And that is exactly the scenario that happened because everybody else around her is slowing down. She is running the same pace and she actually did run a little bit faster from 15K to 21K and she ended up doing an eight-minute PB, which was unbelievable. Um, And it was another example of uh, someone who trained well, had a clear understanding of their race pace and the thing that you talked about at the start was the key. She executed. She didn't get carried away. She didn't get sucked in by the other people's pace around her. She stuck to her guns and and what an, what an outcome for her. So the execution, that makes the result what it is. You can be the fittest person, the most well-prepared person, have the greatest plan, be fresh as a daisy and then still stuff it up because you executed poorly. 
So it's never one thing. It's a combination of things you have to get right. You have to get five things right. And the execution is the final key to the safe. And that's kind of the bit that you can stuff up the most um, if you just do that wrong. Mm. And and so it was it was great to see her do that. But on the other hand, I was so disappointed and almost angry at the other 98% <laughs> who 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 were not doing that. And and I felt like getting on the dais at the end <laughs> with a megaphone going, what are you all doing? Why can't you see that that's a really hard way to race? Um, and people will go, well, you're being too serious. I'll go, no, it doesn't matter whether you're a beginner, an intermediate or, a, or an elite, you still need to have a, a strategy that's going to make it enjoyable. And I guarantee you, if I had a microphone and interviewed people at the end, the majority of the answers going, I never want to do that again. That is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and, and you know, th- that's not – we want to have an interview at the end going, far out, that was fun. I, I've, it was so much fun running my best time. Um, I feel great and I'm not exhausted. I won't be able to not walk for seven days. I'll be able to just resume, you know, my normal life. Um, and and you know, call me, you know, harsh, but it's it's just almost infuriating that people uh, either they don't know that that's an option for them, or they refuse to listen. Mm. Well, what about the belief thing? Because again, you wouldn't come across this uh, too often, where you really had to instill belief in her that she could do it. She just she probably wasn't confident that that was possible, and you were having to say to her, "No, you you really can do this pace, um, and don't be afraid to go for that." Um, yeah, how, how do you yeah. how do you get that belief right before the yeah, race? There's, there's a few little strategies there, which um, and you know how we've talked about data. Um, I have to, you know, I have to I have to prove with evidence to her. She has to come up with her race plan, and she she did, and and I have to make her understand that she's got data to, to, that proves to her that she can do it. So you know the step up races that we did on the lead up into the event, say maybe a 5K park run and we did another race where it was a 5K park run and she had to run another 5K after the park run. And so she's got all this evidence from racing experience of what pace she can do. We did a 16K uh, progressive fast run. We also did a 21K, you know, so we did lots of events that she could not argue with that that that, that was a pace that she's capable of doing. So, so you can't tell someone and they expect them to believe it without evidence that's that's my opinion if you've got if you've got solid sound evidence then the person has no option but to go well i've done it so why can't i replicate it again um and i suppose that's the motivating part that i need to take on is i've got strong belief in that you can do this because of these examples that i've just given you training examples and race practice examples and it was a really easy decision and she just had to in the end totally embrace and trust me 100%. And by the end, you, uh, I was actually riding the bike alongside her for the last 5K. You could not take the smile off her face. It was, you know, I've got this and, you know, and this is – it was a really good experience. And I, I, I wanted to tell this, this story because I know that it will help many other people um, who are aspiring to do, you know, their first park run of 5K – um, or, or they're an experienced athlete who doesn't seem to be getting any improvement. 
um, that it can change if you if you actually respect the things that we've been talking about um, in the last 20 minutes. On a really positive note from the event, something I've noticed over the last 12 months, uh, specifically post-lockdown, uh, is the emergence of so many running groups. There are running groups popping over uh, all over the shop at the moment and I have so many people in my in my network and social circle who have just taken up running and been converted into fully-fledged runners, which I am so shocked at. I look at some people and they're they're now doing a full running program, which I never would have expected uh, from certain people. And it's amazing to see so many people who I never see, would see before uh, taking up the half marathon or marathon challenge. Um, and for me, that's just awesome. And I'm talking about uh, a lot of people I know, so a lot of young people. Um, I'm just seeing massive amounts of running groups training, training at Olympic Park on Tuesday th- or Thursday mornings or uh, training at any of the local ath tracks that you know, we've grown up on uh, running for a long time around here. Uh, I just loved absolutely seeing that. And people, you know, really talented people coming through. People have only been running for a few years. I saw multiple people break three hours and it was their second attempt at a marathon. They'd only, they'd only taken up running a couple of years ago. Um, and just consistent training with a group that they love. They've, they've fallen in love with running. Uh, I just absolutely loved seeing that. Yeah, it's, it is good. And uh, running was kind of not cool to do. But, um, but certainly, I, th- I think COVID has changed people's attitudes of community and and I think the community, the running's almost like a secondary thing. People just want to um, not go to the pub together anymore. They'd rather go to the the meetup for the for the. Uh, I know that uh, just here the local coffee shop has a as a coffee shop runner on a Thursday. They just started, you know, six months ago, maybe six weeks ago. But that started with three people. Now they're regularly getting twenty people. I just think that's that's what. This is about just in getting people off the couch and and making themselves healthier, um, and it, it'll be more beneficial in every other aspect of their life, in their work and and their relationships. So, if you're happy with the way you are, healthy wise and fitness wise, it, it has a flow on effect. There's no doubt in my mind. We do want to touch on the tour a little bit, and we're we're um, cognizant of the fact that by the time this episode comes out, it will be week three of the tour. Uh, we sometimes record episodes a fair bit in advance, um, so a lot will have happened. And normally, we do do some mini Tour de France episodes um, outside of our weekly podcast. Uh, so we may have done by the time this comes out, we may have done a few more of them. But we just did want to talk about Simon Clark on this episode because the cobble stage was last night. So if you're hearing this in a couple of weeks' time, this is recorded. The night after the cobble stage where dad, you and I both stayed up. Uh, I didn't know you were up, but um, we were both watching uh, in separate places um, the entire race um, and it was just so awesome to watch. It was like a, a cobbles classic and uh, Simon Clark actually grew up um, in right near us in Belgrave in Victoria um, and we uh, we have uh, family friends that you know, know each other and we, he almost came on the podcast uh, back in January, um, he was very kind. He was uh, willing to be a guest, but we didn't know that he was going through all this contract turmoil where he didn't have a team. He was calling up teams around the world trying to get signed. He was under a lot of pressure. His career was slipping through his fingers um, and uh, we didn't end up being able to get him on the podcast because we didn't know this, but he was obviously very busy <laughs> um, and, and, and obviously a little bit stressed uh, with his career situation. And then he got a call from Israel saying, get to Europe now. And he was off to Europe within 24 or 48 hours. And now he's won a stage at the Tour de France, which will just um, put him on the highest pedestal in terms of Australian cycling. Whenever an Aussie wins a Tour de France stage, it's just unbelievable. So, hopefully, we can get Simon on the podcast at some point in the future. Uh, he was very kind when he was messaging us. Uh, it just didn't work out at that time. But we just wanted to mention how unbelievable that win was to watch. 
Yeah, I, look, I was cheering as much as I've ever cheered on a tally for that final throw to the line where he won by centimetres. Um, it was like watching um, Matthew Heyman win Harry Roubaix. That's kind. Of, it was like a, it was like a one day classic stage to me. Um, and the, the two contrasting races that were going on, the guys in the break and the and the turmoil behind. Like the guys in the break were just riding even tempo the whole way through, helping each other, and may the best man win. And meanwhile, there was just carnage with the other 190 riders behind who were trying to catch the guys in the break. Um, and and I've got to say. Simon is one of the canniest bike riders that I've ever watched, and he's not, he's done this many times. Um, you know, he's he's a you know he, he nearly rolled um, Matthew Vanderpoel uh, at uh, was it Amstel Gold where he got second. Um, I can't remember. Uh, I think I think it was, um, but but you know that's the sort of rider he is. He can he can produce one day riding. Um, results, uh, and he's he's one of the best spring classics riders I know. And I'm not just talking about Perry Roubaix or uh, Tour of Flanders. I'm talking about the whole. You know, he is such a smart, clever bike rider, um, and and he's been underrated in Australian cycling, in my opinion. He's up, right up there. Um, he's won stages at the Welter, and now he's won a Tour de France stage. Well, that you know, he'll that'll be one that he'll just be so proud of, uh, and. Oh, he couldn't have won it in any any better fashion. The fact that he had Bosenhagen, one of the best sprinters uh, in the world. Um, and he outfoxed him. You know, he outsmarted him. And, boy, I wouldn't want to play cards against Simon <laughs> Clark because you, you would lose every time. Um, you know, I think – I can't remember who the guy was who attacked and, Powers, and got a yeah. jump on yeah. them, Powell's yeah. and um, – and the three of them were sitting there waiting for Bosenhagen to do something. And, you know, I, I don't know if I could have sat, sat behind. Oh, I would have had to go. But anyway, that was the, it was such that a… was the longest 10 seconds I've watched in cycling, I think. It's just with every second that passes, Powers is getting further up the road and Bosenhagen is looking behind at them and Clark and… No one's and moving. Tucker yeah. Benoit are just sitting there going, we're not budging. And it's just the tension is incredible. With every second that passes, there could be the, the Tour de France stage. Um chance you know yeah. i just couldn't believe yeah. that and the nerves it took for him to sit there and go nut you go nut you go and whoever the first one to to fold is the loser and that bosenhagen was the first one so i know and uh something clark said in the interview which i loved was um i i gave him a meter or two and when he turned around he had a little gap and he took the bait which was intentional by me to to get him to go and of course i had to accelerate to get back on his wheel but but it made him go first and you know you don't even notice that that's what he was doing mm, um, so smart that's how clever he is and and of course um the guy on his wheel was getting a free ride as well but um but then clark had the ability to wait for that guy to mm. go and then jump on his wheel because you know you are tired at you know sprinting fresh and sprinting at the end of a cobble stage is completely different it was a tired sprint and, from all four of them wasn't it <laughs> Yeah, and you can't afford to go too long on these sprints, and and that proved the person who gave their one effort got the victory, mm. um, and and Clark was the last one to give the effort, and boy, what it, it was just, it, it was a great story, and the fact that he's no team wanted him, um, you know, and and since he's been with Israel Cycling, he has actually raced su- superb yeah. over the. Yeah. 
um, over the last three months of, of riding. So he's in he's in great form, and and today's result was a you know because he's he's just tried to give them everything back that they've invested in him. And boy, what a decision now! And all those other teams that didn't take up his uh, call, his plea yeah. to take him on yeah. would be you know that that's just that's gold for Israel Cycling. They've got a Tour de France stage mm. win. Um, you know, that they never would have had if they didn't take him on. I just think it's a great story. I love it. And the fact that, you know, he rides the roads where we live and um, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I just loved everything about his post-race interview. You know, he said in that sprint, it was such a long sprint, both legs were cramping and you could see on his face he was giving absolutely everything and that was one of the best lunges for the line I've ever seen. And the poor guy was second would... He couldn't have done any more and, yeah. you know, you, you see the throw that Clark does and that's what gets him the win. It was just incredible and I felt bad for my housemates because it's 2 a.m. here and, and the tension was just palpable in that last K <laughs> and I just I couldn't hold it in. I just burst out and yelled um, when he crossed the line and yeah. I thought, geez, it's yeah. a bit unfair for me to wake him up, but it was worth it. Yeah, and look, you know, he's 36. He's been – he left home when he was 16. He's had 20 years. And every little race experience that he's had in 20 years culminated in that throw. And, you know, of course, he had to get in the break. He had to roll turns. He had to keep riding hard in the break. All those things contributed to the win. But, but you know, don't underestimate every experience you have when it counts on that one day and you put it together, the satisfaction, you couldn't wipe a smile off his face. It was, you know, it was emotional for him. It was, it was, it was brilliant. Mm, it's so true. And you always say that the sprint isn't just the most powerful person. It's a combination of the timing, the power that you push, um, your positioning, uh, all these things. And I can't remember if it was last night or the night before, Bridie actually asked on the commentaries, Simon Gerrans, uh, pre- two-time previous stage winner of the Tour de France, what's it take to win a sprint finish properly? And he just said, well, you know, how long is a piece of string basically there's a thousand things that you have to get right and including everything that leads up to the exact moment that you do that throw and yeah Clark's experience came through because oh, he got all of those things right so just awesome to watch and I can't wait to see what happens over the next few weeks yeah well like you know if we just before we finish on the Tour de France you know the first four stages have been basically about sprinting and and all of those guys you know you can rattle them off from Caleb Phillipson Jacobson Zagan, Van Aert, they're all equally as good sprinters. And there's there's probably four more. Grenewagen, you know, there's so many guys in there who could actually win. Um, yet, yet seemingly Van Aert keeps coming first or second. Um, so he's doing a lot right in positioning. Um, and, you know, the lead-out team has a bit to do with it. So there's there's other things that come into play. Um, but, but certainly... You know, you're defined by your result as a sprinter, and it, and it could, you know, Caleb could be very disappointed because he hasn't done anything yet. But, but don't write him off. It's still, you know, still a, a long way to go. We've said this many tours before. Um, you know, you learn a lot from the mistakes you make and the victories you don't have because when, then you put it together. You've got to get the positioning, the timing, and the power to sprint properly right. And you know he is he is one of the best fastest sprinters in the world. Yet it just hasn't happened, and it's not you know. So you've, I'm trying to say this to to guys who are just doing club club races, where you know you can still be the best sprinter and not win. Um, it's it's and you can still be the best rider in a bike race and not win. You know our example was you know I'm by far I was in that club race I was probably the 20th best rider there but I got third you know it's got nothing to do with just your ability as a powerful rider it's got to do with lots of other things 
timing and and uh, tactics. And so, you know, for everybody listening, you know, you you don't always expect that the result's going to go your way. It's it's going to be one out of a hundred or one out of fifty. But in Van Art, Van Art's case, it's every single race he's, <laughs> he's getting a result. But um, yeah. but they're ex- he's an exceptional bike rider. He's a one in a hundred year bike rider. You know, so so you can't base it off him. Yeah. You can't just put. <laughs> Yeah, you can't base it off his results, but uh, but yeah. So that's the point I want to get across there. I think we'll finish there. That's probably all we have time for. I do apologise because at the start we did say we we're going to talk about a lot more, and as always, we just love talking about some of these topics, and we end, time ends up running away from us. Uh, but we will eventually get to a lot of the topics that we talk about. Uh, I do apologise if, you, if you're waiting for a certain question to be answered. If you do have questions for us be sure to send them in. Uh, we will get to them eventually, uh, but that will be it for this episode. So, as always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it and we'll see you in the next episode.